This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 8. The Flatwoods Monster In Braxton County lies the town of Flatwoods, a small town tucked in the low, timbered Appalachian hills of West Virginia. A quiet town with the occasional visitor or someone just passing through. With being such a small community, everyone knows everyone, and everyone knows what goes on. Many stories are passed down from generations, becoming folk tales and family heirlooms. This is where the tale of the Flatwoods Monster was born. The sun was quickly setting down and darkness was falling on the town of Flatwoods, on September 12, 1952. Brothers Edward and Freddie May, along with a couple of their friends, Neil Nunley and Tommy Heyer, were playing on the lawn of the local elementary school. When all of a sudden, a giant object about the size of a house raced through the sky. It looked as though it was on fire. They watched as it passed overhead and descended out of view at the top of the hill by Bailey Fisher's farm. Knowing where it had dropped down or landed, they decided they wanted to go check it out. One of the brothers jokingly suggested that there may be gold where it landed, like how it's said that gold sits at the end of a rainbow. The group then made their way towards Fisher's farm. They decided to stop on the way to tell their mother Kathleen May what had happened. The mother decided to join them into going to see what it was. Their cousin Eugene Lemon, a National Guardsman, was staying with them at the time and came along as well. They even brought the family dog. They all then started the short hike to the farm. Upon reaching the site where the object had crashed, they could see a red light that slowly pulsated from behind the hill. The group slowly made their way up the hill. As they inched closer, they could hear a hissing sound coming from the site of the wreckage. When they reached the top of the hill, they could see the object, partially embedded in the ground. It looked similar to a saucer. All around the object was a thick fog-like mist that seemed to fill the area. The mist smelled of chemicals and sulfur. The dog took off running into the mist while barking at the object. The group heard the dog howl or yelp and then take off running the opposite direction, back towards town. They later found out the dog never made it all the way. It ended up vomiting all over itself and dying. One of the members of the group spotted something near the tree. Everyone immediately turned their heads to see a very tall figure, roughly about 12 feet in length, hovering above the ground. 
They described it as tall with a head shaped like a spade, wearing a metal dress with small arms and claw-like fingers. They stated the figure was black and green in color, with big eyes that seemed to emit a flash or beam coming from them. It slowly glided and hovered in the air, moving what appeared to be its head from side to side, almost as though it was surveying the scene with its headlight-like eyes. The creature seemed to be mechanical, almost like a robot. Gene dropped his flashlight on the ground and the creature seemed to lean over and look at it. The next thing they know, it's gliding towards them, while making a hissing sound. The group immediately turned and ran back towards town. After the encounter, several members of the group complained of falling ill. Some experienced issues with throat irritation, nausea, and vomiting that lasted for several days after the incident. Kathleen May and Eugene Lemon reported what they had seen to local authorities. The authorities then set up a search party to check the area that night. To their surprise, nothing could be found. There were multiple reports of others seeing the pulsing red light and fireball in the sky. Another account, similar to the description of the Flatwoods monster, from Audra Harper, took place right before the incident at Fisher's Farm. Audra lived several miles outside of town and was walking to town with a friend. They had to pass through the woods to get to the town of Heaters due to a rut in the road that would have increased the time it took them to get there. Heaters is roughly five miles north of Flatwoods. They were roughly a half mile into their trip when they noticed a ball of fire floating on one of the hills they were passing by. They were surprised by the particular object, but quickly dismissed it as a nearby neighbor fox chasing. They continued to walk onward. Audra happened to glance back at the fireball and to her surprise, the fire had disappeared and in its place stood a tall, dark figure, similar to the shape of a man. They described the figure much similar to the maze encounter, but they stated the figure appeared to be all black, almost like a silhouette. This terrified the girls as they immediately took off running back towards their house, dodging rocks and boulders all along the hillside. After running for some time, they reached the gate of the property, Audra unlatched the gate while her friend turned to see the creature behind them. She yelled to tell Audra, Oh my god, it's right behind us. Audra's friend then took off running away while Audra latched the gate and ran into her house. From that day, she never walked to town ever again. The next day, another sighting occurred near Strange Creek, roughly 20 miles south of Flatwoods. George and Edith Snitowski and their 18-month-old son were driving through the rural area between Clay and Braxton County on Route 4. While driving down the dark road, their car suddenly died and would not start, no matter how much George tried. It was late at night and there were no other cars on the road. It was just them and a long stretch of road for miles. While sitting in the car, trying to decide what they should do, they noticed a very foul, sulfurous smell that began to fill the air. The smell became so much it appeared to affect their baby because it started to cry. 
All of a sudden, a bright light filled the area, and standing before them was a tall figure, roughly ten feet tall, hovering in front of their car. The figure appeared to be very similar to the one the maze described. However, in this case, it did not have a spade-shaped head. Instead, its head was more reptilian and bony. The creature then ran its hand across the hood of the car and then vanished into the woods. As soon as the creature was out of sight, the Snitowski's car started and the couple immediately drove away. Although the different encounters took place at different areas and different times, they were all very similar. The maze encounter made the local and national news creating much widespread interest and panic due to recent atomic bomb testing in 1949. The news spread so rapidly, Kathleen May and Eugene Lemon ended up going to New York to tell their story to CBS. It then prompted a U.S. Air Force UFO inquiry for Project Blue Book. They dispatched a handful of investigators around the county to look into similar claims. Since the events that took place on that night of September 12, 1952, visitors and tourists had began to frequent Flatwoods. This led to the opening of the Monster Museum. They also put up signs on the highways to boost interest, with the caption, Home of the Green Monster. Everywhere you go in Flatwoods, you are reminded of the Flatwoods Monster, from giant Flatwoods Monster-shaped chairs to life-size cutouts for photo opportunities. One thing that remains constant since the initial May encounter, Eddie and Freddie still tell the same story over 70 years later. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now, the debrief. Yeah, so first off, Kathleen May. Right? The mother. Like, hats off to her. For like... First off, for believing her kids. Right? Because there's so many stories of like young people, especially children, like reporting incidents and their parents are... They don't believe them and what a miserable situation to be in. They kind of just dismiss it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Plus, okay, so she... Like, 10 points for 50s parents, right? 80s parents are trailing miserably. <laughs> After our dive into Polybius, we found out 80s parents are horrendous. Right. So, fi- the 50s are winning. Um, no, but like, Flatwoods. The Flatwoods monster is a classic. It's an absolute classic. I think what makes it so cool is that it's... It's so far from every other encounter from that decade, from that era. Right. It's not your your homegrown or sorry, your run of the mill, you know, alien encounter, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it looks nothing like what we think of when we think of you know. It doesn't look like any of the quote unquote established species, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I think I think just the overall description and you know even just uh is they had they had had uh like a sketch artist or someone uh actually i believe it was kathleen may that did it uh had had an actual sketch artist you know write or sketch up what they had seen 
And I mean, you know, and that's most most commonly if you even search or look up the Flatwoods monster, that's what you're going to come across. And yeah, right. it's way different than any any type of alien, especially to this day, any type of alien that you would expect to see. Any, I guess, you know, any if you want to call it an alien, I guess it could be lots of different things. But you know, regardless, it's not definitely completely different than anything that uh, that we're used to for sure. Yeah. Now, I've heard obviously unlike previous episodes, I'm I'm also pretty familiar with this case already. Right. Cuz as we've established it's it's a classic. But um I've heard often that the boys initially thought that what they'd seen was an asteroid. Right. Yeah, right. cuz I mean it was a a fireball in the sky is essentially as they described it basically being as as large as a as a house as what right. uh you know what their original recount of it was but yeah they thought it was an asteroid so once again Kathleen May how cool is it to go asteroid hunting with your sons see to be to be honest i mean this is the 50s um Kathleen May she's not your your average housewife Um, that you would expect in the fifties. I mean, she, she had the role of providing for her two boys. Uh, she was often described as a pretty, feisty, uh, feisty lady, completely capable of, you know, of supporting and taking care of her two sons. But I also, that isn't a fifties description, (laughs) right? I also (laughs) think though is, I mean, it's not like she sh- she had shit to do. Like she was probably really bored, and they were like, "Oh, something happened." She's like, "Ah, cool. You know, I I'm bored anyways. Let's go check it out." Right. Like, you right. know, I mean, you're talking about a town that has a population today of like oh, 200 people. I was gonna say, yeah, it was roughly about 300. So right. yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's a very very small community, and um, you know, and they're they're kind of more so a little bit out of town and. You know, so yeah, there's probably not a whole lot going on, and so you know, of course, she was she was on board right away. But yeah, you know, she also may have genuinely been very interested in what they what they described or what they had to say. Um, sure, you know, which That's is fair. which is really cool, and it is a step up from our our '80s parents that that we've discussed. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So, like, they get out there, <clears throat> and they. They actually saw the. Did they actually see the craft in the ground? Yeah. So the way like that they, they described it is the nose of of the craft, the nose of what they they de- they described it as looking like a saucer, but also as almost like an egg. Um, okay. So I guess a couple different descriptions in that case, but apparently the nose of it was embedded in the ground, like actually into the ground uh so they only saw it from like the back part of it okay so see the way that it's described the visual i always picture the bottom half of it like a dalek like the sort of like pleated i mean yeah you know i i get that for sure yeah like and when you compare that to the Snitowski, 
sighting, right? The one mm-hmm. with the car where the car dies, and it's a little more reptilian, right? Yeah. That, I mean, are we talking the same the same being? It's just like what it's relieved itself of its exoskeleton, its armor. I mean, yeah, it could also have been wearing like a cowl, you know, sure. like uh, something on its head, some type of armor. Maybe that's what the spade shape is. Yeah. Um, you know, because it still had the beamy eyes, you know, like emitting this like flash, like, you know, almost like headlight, um, which I, I think was the best way to describe, you know, kind of what, what they had kind of described it as, as yeah, basically looking like, you know, looking at two headlights for eyes, um, okay. you know, but yeah, I think, I think with that one being more reptilian, um, you know, slightly different, but everything else, I mean, was, was pretty much the same right. outside of just the head was the only difference. Okay. See, cause I've also heard the Flatwoods monster described as having red eyes. Right. Right. Which we can't ignore another close geographically red eyed, you know, West Virginian being <laughs> well, that, that always are... reminds me of. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, okay, so a big thing here is the response to it, right? Mm -hmm. To this event. So the couple goes on CBS, right? To get their story. They told their story. They, I mean, immediately it was, it was in the local, local news the next day. Um, ended up getting more widespread, made to national news. Um, at that point, then they went into CBS, basically telling their story, you know, and this basically starting this kind of domino effect, right. Of, you know, and yep. it's just making it bigger and bigger and, you know, and pe- more people are finding out and then due to all this other shit that's been happening, you know, and like you have what the Korean war or, uh, the yeah. cold war, and sorry, the cold war. And, right. Yeah. Yeah. So you have all that going on. You have the introduction of atomic bombs being tested. You know, yeah. already in the media, they're they're scaring people into yeah. They're you know right now with all the things that are going on. There's people that are being like put into these positions. And I was I was kind of reading reading through it. Basically, the scare tactics that they were using on people at the time, trying to get them to you know, be scared and be very cautious when it came to anything. Because, I mean, they were telling them that, you know, the average, like, in all these areas of the average person doesn't know. But, I mean, there could be, like, some spy or some, like, whatever that's been put into these, you know. So you have all of that going on at the same time that you have this, which is completely unheard of at the time. I mean, you know, we're just at the... I guess, you know, kind of kind of roughly the introduction of like aliens in the media and things like that. So, you know, it, I guess, you know, you have a little bit of just a mix of everything. And I think that's kind of, you know, what gets this kind of trickle domino effect. Yeah. I mean, Flatwoods is basically smack dab in the middle between like Betty and Barney Hill and Mothman. Right. right? Like time wise. It's like right in the yeah. middle. So does that mean yeah. Mothman was what in the sixties and then the yeah. Hills was, uh, was 40. Yeah. Early forties, 40, 44, 45, I believe. 
Yeah, something, something like that. that. Yeah. So, and also just this area, like there's a lot of shit, right? You know, just in West Virginia specifically, um, and just I mean, just slightly surrounding that happened all through this whole time period too. Um, yeah. Like it's no wonder that people people started to panic and freak out about it. You know, yeah, they, I mean, West Virginia is it's cryptid country. It really right? is. Yeah. And then you compound on that all the paranoia of the time. And so, yeah, it doesn't surprise me that there was a huge reaction to it. Now, this obviously this reaction involved our old friends in Project Blue Book. Mm hmm. Right. Yeah. And I, then, can we talk a little bit about their conclusions? Like what their story was? Well, I mean, there, uh, there was, it was more so like a lot of, so I guess kind of going back into, uh, let's, let's, let's retouch on like the law enforcement and things like that, you know, so kind of, the kind of starting there, they were basically the laughing stock, you know, and nobody took them, at least authorities didn't take them seriously. It wasn't until, you know, as more and more in the media and things like that, and then that they ended up sending out, you know, the Air Force to basically investigate into it and then trying to get similar reports from, from other people, you know, to right. basically build their build their case or build their information. And so it was eventually dismissed though that it wasn't real, right? Um, and so, and it was more so just kind of chalked up to, uh, hysteria and things like that. And so, you know, I mean, as far as, you know, obviously the, the, the project blue book involvement, um, you know, was just kind of came out to being, there was no, uh, no proper evidence or anything like that. Right. And that's kind of where things were left. Yeah. Basically. Uh, claim to have be left, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they their official story was something like, you know, like you said, there was no evidence of. They said they like publicly stated there was no evidence of extraterrestrial vehicles. There was no evidence right. of like that they didn't even find a crater, right? That like it was an asteroid, hysteria, and a barn owl. Yeah, I wasn't going to get into the owl yet, but <laughs> that's where it's very reminiscent of the Kentucky Goblins getting, sure. you know, talking about that. But yeah, uh, there, you know, it was chalked up to most likely an asteroid and a lot of, I mean, they tried to really play the the owl game, yeah. um, which just is silly. But I mean, if you've heard the way that, uh, I mean, in Barn Owl specifically, screeches it's pretty damn terrifying yeah and so i mean you know like think of this thing that they're they're thinking they're seeing that's hovering above the ground they're also you know i mean kind of looking at it at an angle like you know it's it's gonna probably seem a little bit bigger sure um you know it's gonna emit this hissing sound but also this we I don't even really know how to describe the the sound that comes out of the owl, but like I mean it I don't know. 
it is terrifying sounding and so like it's like a it's like a high-pitched modulation right it's it's really weird it's disorienting so i mean you know looking at it like that you kind of you have all these things in place and you know it's also nighttime by this point um you know it's a group of people there's you know an asteroid in the sky you know they're just putting all these things together and you know it's it's just a crazy turn of events right yeah so it would be easy to really chalk it up to something that you want it to be versus what it actually is so i mean sure you know, and then, you know, and, and the Project Blue Book's findings and then their, you know, the the case that they made and, you know, that there was no proper evidence and everything. And then chalking it up to those things. I mean, looking at it from one side, you know, that's, yeah, I, I would, I would believe it. And in their defense, there was, I believe, at, there were asteroid showers over like three states that night including west virginia right there this was seen over over multiple states yeah and there were a lot of reports a lot of similar reports of things that they saw in the sky um you know specifically on on that that night yeah and so that's what a lot of the project blue book when they were looking into it you know was just mainly reports of things that they saw in the sky yeah. Um, now you know, I know. Basically, it's common knowledge that. Well, I don't know how common it is for people not obsessed with all this shit, but like Project Blue Book's job basically was to decrease hysteria. Of right? course. So like they're they went out intending to debunk everything. Yeah. And I know people that were close to Heineck, to to Doctor Heineck. They they always said that like this was one of the cases that stuck with him. Yeah. That like that he really at least the people close to him thought that this was one that he really believed they came down wrong on. Yeah, no, I'm 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 not surprised. Yeah. I don't you know, a lot of these a lot of these I I tend to to try to like look at rationally, right? But Flatwoods is one that I I've always bought. Yeah, I like it. It makes a lot of sense to me. See, I'm I'm I think I'm in the opposite in this case. Wow, <laughs> we're switching places. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it's it 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 does it just it I don't know I. I just don't really buy into it a whole lot. I mean, as much as I love the idea of it, and I think that it's it's definitely a lot. Uh, it's a lot different than you know. Again, like as we were talking about earlier, that we're used to um, the description and everything. I love the whole like I love the description of it. I love you know the, the drawings that have been done with uh, done of it and everything. Like if that's if it's legit, that's awesome. But at the same time, I think like there were so the the lack of evidence and everything was uh, did make a big difference. Which we we know that anybody can hide evidence. They can you know they there could have been a certain the search party that initially went out and cleaned you know cleaned up the scene to make sure that obviously nothing you know nothing further became of it. 
or right. came of it. And so like, that's a possibility. That's definitely a possibility, but I don't know. It just seems a bit, a bit out there. Um, yeah. And it's more so, I, th- I think it just comes down to just thinking of the description of, of this Flatwoods monster of this being. Um, and maybe it's just because I'm so used to modern day or, you know, like normal depictions of, you know, think of just normal aliens and things like that. Maybe that right. makes it harder for me to, to believe or buy it. Okay. But I mean, you know, you have multiple, multiple different accounts telling the exact same thing all separately yeah. and on different occasions, not, you know, not even in the one, uh, Audra, uh, Audra so-and-so, um, <laughs> you know, her, her account was even just, just before the maze account. Yeah. And then the Snitowski, I mean, theirs was next day, you know, wait, so the night the of the Audra, next day, the Audra account was before the one that happened on the, on the hill. Yes, it actually was. Uh, it was because uh, they were about five miles. What was it? Five miles north. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Five miles north or south. Uh, but yeah, it happened just before the maze one. Okay, they so saw, she encountered it, right. and then it crashed. See, that's where the information just doesn't add up. That's pretty weird. Um. Yeah, so it was said that it literally like happened, I mean basically moments before. Yeah. Uh let's see. So, I'm j- yeah. So it took place right before the incident at Fisher's Farm. Okay. So I mean, you know, that's that was another so that was another thing. Yeah, I did I th- I did think about that too like how is it here but also here? You know, unless it crashed, it made its way, you know, hovered its way, you know, five miles, sure. said hi to some, some young girls, and then made its way back to, <laughs> you know, get back to its, <laughs> its or, spaceship. Or, or, or. <laughs> or, hold on. I think I have, okay, I think I have an explanation. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. Okay. So, what if this is two, what if this is two separate beings of the same race right two flatwoods monsters right so maybe audra so-and-so as you so eloquently named her (laughs) what if what if Uh, she what if she encounters audra harper Harper. Harper. what, what if she encounters something of like a reconnaissance team right that yeah i guess that's possible and then the the craft is maybe on its way to pick up the reconnaissance team or to bring them back, right? And crashes. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, they didn't... She, her and her friend, did not see any type of craft. They didn't see any crash. They didn't see anything else but a ball of fire. Right. Is how they, how they explained or how they, you know, had, had described, kind of it. described it. And so, you know, this ball of fire that basically turns into this big, black, tall figure. Right. Um, you know, but what I thought was, was most, I guess, 
my favorite part of of that that account was the fact that it literally followed them all the way through this you know a half mile through the forest back to their property and as soon as they get there they look back and it's it's right behind them like literally that's, right behind them um that's some then, scary shit yeah that would be that would be terrifying Man. and how old um, are they uh know? so I don't know the age. I think I think they were in their twenties. Okay, so uh, young late adults. teens, early twenties. Yeah. Okay. That's. I mean, that's scary as fuck. No matter how old you are. Right, and I mean, <laughs> they were out. You know, they were out walking because they lived off of a dirt road. Right. You know, it was a lot faster for them to basically cut through the woods to get to town instead of taking the long the long route, basically. Um. You know, so it, they just that that day they picked the wrong day to walk through the woods. All right, so so this this alien race, right? This flatwoods creatures, they come to visit Earth first time ever, right? They're just <laughs> they come down, they drop off somebody to do some recon, right? On the way to get them back, they crash. Uh huh. And they end up having such a terrible time on Earth that no one ever sees them again after this. Yeah. They just I decide mean, to ride off Earth, like, fuck that place. We're done there. That's a bad luck planet. And that's why this is the only sighting of these creatures ever. And that's another reason I, I don't think I buy into it. Is I mean it happened over the period of two days because we'll give we'll give the Snitowski's incident, yeah. um, even though it was slightly different face, but everything else is the exact same. Yeah. Uh, so, but theirs was the next the next evening. So you have two two days where all this shit's happening, and then never ever seen again. Right. No other accounts. No one. No one's ever came across it. No one's seen any more craft. No one's seen you know anything that slightly even resembles this to this day. Yet we yeah. have thousands upon thousands of accounts of greys, reptilians, things like that. Like, yep, centaur so, whites. It, yeah, it just you know. So that's that's. I guess that's another thing that kind of just sways me, but. See, I think that same fact sways me in the opposite direction. Think so? Yeah. The okay. the fact that it's not par for the course, right, yeah. makes it stand out to me. And yeah, I definitely count this Natowski sighting because, like, if you can build an interstellar craft, you probably know how to take your helmet off, right? <laughs> so, like, yeah. I mean that that's what I that yeah. That's what I yeah. think too. I mean, in in regards to that particular, like, yeah, they probably just have a hood. You know, it's right. it's just armor. You know, shit that they're wearing, just like their metal dress. Um, yeah, you know, slightly slightly reminiscent <laughs> of a Dalek. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely reminiscent of the Dalek. But like, I I think it that does lend more credence to it for me. The fact okay. that it's like That's it's fair. this one time thing. Right, because I, I honestly, I know a lot of people make this argument that like, of course you see that you saw an alien that looked like that. That's what everyone knows aliens look like, right? 
That's like, fair. Yeah. A lot of people make that argument and but it works on me sometimes. I do get swayed by that sometimes because I know sometimes people are bullshit. <laughs> like I mean, some, I think in a lot of cases people are bullshit, but Right. And like that's what makes this stand out to me because like all these people they didn't have like they didn't have this concept already in their heads of what it what an alien would look like, right? So you have all these separate accounts and they don't have they're not drawing from the same database. Yeah. You know what I mean? So this is a completely unique sighting by separate people and it looks nothing like anything any of them would have ever seen before. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely right. It's I I think you know, looking at it like that, kind of think you have it like that. It makes a bit. It makes it a bit more compelling, I think. Yeah. But at this, you know, at the same time, um, you know, you do have a high point of a lot of UFO activity at at that that particular time. Right. So anything seen in the sky is going to be perceived as, oh my god, it's a you know, it's a UFO, or you know, it's so. I think that's also going to lend a lot to. However, anybody describes anything, you know, they they're gonna embellish. They're gonna, you know, kind of explain these things as, you know, especially maybe in this case, they had seen, you know, in in the media and things like that, and the, so they decided to make this a little bit different. So it's not the same. Maybe I mean, just like people like you. But they all made it up the same way independently. I, there's probably some underground network <laughs> of people. <laughs> that, Kathleen May was actually in secret cahoots with the Snitowskis. She, she was. And her and, and Audra Harper, they're probably the same person. <laughs> so no, that's a theory. They're all the no, same person. No, it's, uh, you know, in, in this particular, like I said, this particular area in West Virginia, there was a, uh, there was a lot of shit, especially, I mean, uh, these little towns being so so small. I mean, you have, uh, what, Heaters five miles north, and then you had um, the area that the Snitowskis were in that's, what, just a little bit south of where they're at. So yeah. and you have all these things that are going on in the same area. Um, there was also an account in 1944 where... Um, a farmer, uh, I believe it was, I think it was still in Braxton County. Um, he had discovered basically what appeared to be debris from wreckage uh, that that was on his property. Okay. Um, ended up, uh, you know, and tried to tried to find out about it. He he tried to reach out to, you know, to authorities and things, and, and just trying to find out what is this. It, it was all things that it was very different from what he's used to. You know, it wasn't his normal farm equipment. It wasn't just normal equipment that, you know, he would normally see, uh, you know, any type of vehicle or anything like that. After basically being dismissed, he ended up burying it where he buried his burnt trash. Um, and wow. never really spoke of it again. Um, you know, and that was in 44. And that's like when you were we're basically at that that starting point, you know, because what was the what was that news article that they had posted uh, saying like we've captured a UFO or something? Oh yeah. And then um, 
Yeah, I believe that was the headlines. And then uh, President, which was, was it Truman, I think, at the time? Yeah, Truman. Um, you know, he actually authorized it and everything. And as soon as, like, it just developed instant panic, they, you know, uh, basically just, they're just, it. you know, kind of claimed, oh, no, we, we were actually wrong. It was a weather balloon. And, you know, yeah. and I think that, like, that started that immediate, that immediate point where people were just like, oh, okay, they're, they're acknowledging this. And the fact that they're, you know, taking it back. And, you know, so I think that, that lends a lot. It lends a lot to even, you know, even just a further stories and just like this, like we were talking about, you know, in the media, UFOs, things like that. Definitely. Um, but there was, uh, so what, in September 13th and 14th, so the next day um, after the uh, the maze incident, or, you know, the one with the Flatwoods monster, uh, the next day and the day after that, so the 13th and the 14th, uh, there was a pilot, um, which I, I guess is just extra little tidbits, sure. um, but may kind of lend a little bit as well. Uh, but there was a pilot that was flying, and his plane was surrounded by saucers. Whoa! On two separate days, um, and I think it was somewhere. I think he was flying over this area, roughly over the over West Virginia, um, and his plane was surrounded by saucers uh, that literally stayed stayed with him for a while. Um, what kind there of do you was, know what kind of pilot this was? Like was this like an Air Force pilot or was this like a like a crop duster? Uh it was Air Force. Okay. Um, it wasn't yeah, it wasn't just a you know, just a normal normal everyday guy. Okay. Um so I mean so we have we have this going on. There's not a whole lot of information other than it was reported and they didn't know what it was. They were really fast, they sped out and were gone. Um, but the same year in July of 1952, there were multiple incidents where again, multiple saucers, multiple UFOs appeared over the Capitol building in DC. Yeah. Um, and this happened on multiple occasions. Uh, you know, the first they, they tried to basically chase them and they were too fast. They were too just way too fast for them to be able to reach them. Uh, the other, the you know, another time, they were instructed to try and shoot them down. Um, as as they you know as they went for it, their controls would malfunction. Um, you know, basically as if being manipulated by these crafts, yeah. UFOs, um, which same year literally the same year that all this is happening and this is before you know before the flatwoods monster so you have all of this going on too and are these things that were like widely publicized i mean if you have fucking lots of ufos over a capitol building i'm sure Sure. there's gonna it's gonna be in the media yeah you know there's no way that can that story can be all hush hush like yeah there's absolutely no way um, and then additionally, what, uh, November in 1952, uh, George, George Adamski saw a cigar shaped UFO, uh, that landed and he basically just walked on up to it, just waltzed up and, 
um, ended up uh, a creature, a alien, whatever, whatever it a being. Sure. Um, you know, exited the craft and uh, you talked to him, and yeah. they claim to be from Venus. Yep. And so, which is you know another pretty pretty common you know common uh, commonly known one, but you know the the other thing about it is he also had six witnesses that were able to back him up, and he proceeded through the years. He was contacted multiple times by this person from Venus, and it wasn't his only encounter, but that was the first one. Again, nineteen fifty two. Um. You know, so there was a lot, a lot of stuff that happened in that same year. And I think a lot of it just really played off of each other. And so, and maybe that's where, you know, again, some of my uh, skepticism, my hesitation, skepticism, like all of that kind of branches and, and comes from. I mean, how many of those that you just described do you buy? I definitely don't buy the Venus one. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> it's just super funny. But I mean this guy was very very well known, went on to write, you know, lots of lots of things, lots of books, uh, you know, all yeah. centered around UFOs, aliens and things like that. I it sounded like a nut job to me. I've read at least one of those books and it was essentially pulpy nonsense. But like yeah. I think with that one in particular he i really have trouble buying the stories where people people claim that the same entity comes back and visits them over and over again right i mean I, unless you're a child being being abducted throughout your life you know where yeah but I, maybe I not mean, and know. we could that like it smacks of like the Indrid cold story which i'm sure right. we'll absolutely talk about later oh yeah but like i have trouble buying those like yeah i think what happens is they get attention from the first sighting and they want to they they need a to re up you know yeah, what i mean they want to keep it going they, they want to make the next doses. one even better right yeah, exactly and just to gain that much more recognition and yeah. you know to to remain basically like a highlighter you know remain in the spotlight if you will yeah exactly so I I definitely agree. Um, I think so. Back to Flatwoods. So we also can't ignore the fact that this area just happens to fall directly on the thirty seventh parallel. Yeah, I mean perfectly. Every, yeah, it's uh, you're you're basically looking. You know, it's it's almost like a Bermuda Triangle. Uh, you know, it wraps you around will, like, the entire earth. Yep. And it's, and that's where a lot of these hot spots are. Yeah. So, and that's why all of these other incidents, you know, that I'm explaining are all very close proximity yeah, to this area. Exactly. Yeah. Like um, if you, if you stand in Braxton County and walk the 37th parallel West, You'll walk right through Point Pleasant. I mean, You're gonna, it's like, it's right there. It's right. that line. There's so much weird shit on that line. Like, yeah. And, and I was looking a couple weeks ago. Mothman and, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like that 37th parallel goes through Skinwalker Ranch and like all these like crazy 
things. I really want to actually see a list of everything along. Like, it literally falls within the 37th parallel. Like, I'm sure there's, I'm sure it's insane. And I'm sure that's where, like, the majority of all of these branch from or kind of start from. Yeah. I mean, and I was just a couple weeks ago, I was looking at these um, surveys, these maps of electromagnetic activity, right? And it was like, it was sort of like a temperature map, right? So like the darker the color, the stronger the electromagnetic signal in that area, right? And this was done by like the Smithsonian. It's just like a full world map of electromagnetic activity. Okay. And the first thing I did was zoom in on West Virginia. Because <laughs> I'm me. And I had to know, right? Because everyone everyone associates these like electromagnetic spikes with paranormal activity in general. Yep. Right? Of um, course. And most of West Virginia is like blue and green. Right, but when you get up to that area where the thirty seventh parallel cuts through, it's the lightest color on that map is orange. Wow. Like it's and That's Point nuts. Pleasant is Point Pleasant and and Braxton County is a little lighter, but Point Pleasant in particular is like so dark red it might as well be black. <laughs> like Yeah. I mean that uh, that one I'm definitely not surprised, but it's just yeah, these that's, areas. That's crazy. Is, it's and you know, and then you start talking about like about Keel's ideas of like window areas. Like, is the thirty seventh parallel like a series of these these parts where the veil is thin, and maybe that's why we get things like flatwoods? I that happening. I I think that's to me. I I think that's probably that's probably the case. Yeah. Um. You know, because it does fall within you know this area, and I think it's probably a lot lighter. Yeah. There's probably you know no veil there it's just uh yeah. you know we're then we're looking at vortexes and you know similar to that though similar to yeah. that idea right and just a mass area yeah and so yeah I, I think that uh like i said i think that to me definitely makes sense i mean the the interdimensional thing right the ultra terrestrial idea that's yep. like a a huge unifying theory of the paranormal Right, this idea that they're all the same, they're all manifestations of the same entities, right? Right. So, like, maybe on this 37th parallel where the veil is thinner, where you occasionally get things breaking through the veil, right? Like, maybe that's, maybe that's what's happening. Maybe that's what Flatwoods is. And maybe if something, if it's something that big, if it's literally like a, a view of another existence, another reality. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can't always rely on them looking the same. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, th- I think you're probably right. Like, is it, at that point, being ultra terrestrials and things like that, I think we're always going to see them depending on the locations. There's probably going to be a lot of other things, you know, a lot of other factors that maybe will change their shape, their outward appearance, like things like that. I mean, I, don't, I think at that point that we're just kind of more 
theorizing, but like, that's sort of what all I don't this really is, know right? how to how to kind of back that up, right? So yeah. that's, <laughs> and okay. that's why I'm kind just of just scrambling to right, exactly. Yeah, yeah I mean, but, obviously, neither of us have any like inside information on this. We're just like trying to make sense. Of I want it, it though. Right? So I know. if anybody has it, yeah. But let's like go ahead and you send know, it, send it over. I was. <laughs> I was thinking, right? Like, imagine being on the other side of that veil, right? Yes. Imagine if, okay, imagine if people managed to break through the way these things that we're seeing. There's got to be some way to do it, though. Right. So, like, but imagine if you're, like, Tommy Mothman on the other side of the veil, right? Yeah. And, like, and once a month you see, like, you know, an NBA player that has broken through the veil, right? Okay. Like, there are all these reports of, like, NBA players, essentially, <laughs> right? No, stay with me here. I promise. All right, you're losing me, I think. Okay. No, keep going. And then, all of a sudden, like, Jimmy Mothman down the street sees Danny DeVito, <laughs> I'm completely lost at this point. Okay, let me let me so explain. He's got Jimmy Mothman and Danny DeVito, uh huh, and then Jimmy Mothman it? saw NBA players. Okay, right. Jimmy and Timmy Mothman. Anyway, oh, so Jimmy, Timmy. Okay, right. Their names All aren't right, important. I'm back on track. The point is, the NBA players are Grays. Right? Okay. They're the ones that everyone sees, right? On the other yeah. side of the veil, there's 60 years, there's a 60 or 70 year history of people seeing NBA players. Right? Break through the veil. And then all of a sudden, Timmy Mothman over here sees a Danny DeVito who's broken through the veil. And then some asshole Mothman on a podcast is going, that person who saw Danny DeVito, he's full of shit because it didn't look anything like the NBA players. True. But Does any of that makes sense. Yeah. No, I, okay. I, I, I'm, I followed, I followed okay. once I learned Jimmy and Timmy. <laughs> okay. But I just the, needed, that was I the, needed the names. That way I could, I could differentiate them. Gotcha. Uh, but the thing about it, though, is what sets these gray NBA players, like, how is Danny DeVito different? He's Flatwoods. Right. Like, they're of the same, maybe they're of the same species. Okay. But he just happened to be bred from, uh, you know, different... Uh, sure. I mean, imagine if, like, you had, imagine if you had never seen a human being before in your life. Right? right. Imagine if you're viewing the human race objectively, completely objectively. Okay. How hard would it be for you to believe that Danny DeVito and Shaquille O'Neal are two members of the same race? Like, I mean, the, if you look at it like that, it's all it comes down to is race. Right. But like, so, they're both human beings, but they literally could not look more different. All right. Right? So what's to say that every gray looks like the stereotypical gray? Yeah. Right? I mean, but then we're also... That's like saying... You know, 
there's different races of aliens, different species. There sure. are. Yeah. So, but that's where this ultra-terrestrial thing, like, they're right. all the same. Like, that to me, I, I think is, is harder, harder to grasp, at least. Because, yeah, they're all the same. They're all aliens. Right. But they're all different. You know, there's different races of them. And so I think I think when we're we're saying the same thing, but it's also like I, I just the concept of that is right to me. I, th- I think is a little funny. I mean, it's it's very different, right? Because if you're if you think of them as extraterrestrials, then these are literally different races, right? Right. The you know the grays and the like the thin tall whites. They're like two races that come from very different places in the in the universe. Right. Okay. Yeah. But when you consider it from like an ultra terrestrial idea, this, then this is like, at least the way I've been thinking about it lately is the, you know, the Shaquille O'Neal, Danny DeVito (laughs) way, right. Where it's two members of the same, of the same species. They just look very different. Yeah. Right. And, but to me, I still hear that as the same. No, that's not the same. <laughs> that's not the same at all. Maybe, maybe not, but I don't know. It's like I said, it's just. I mean, it would be like if, I mean, comparing like a gray. Okay. With your, with the one you're talking about, with them actually being extraterrestrials from other planets. Right. Right. They would not be members of the same species. Right? They're different species. Right, exactly. Okay, but with ultra-terrestrials... Allowing them to look different. Right. But with with the ultra-terrestrial theory, at least... I mean, there are lots of different manifestations of the ultra-terrestrial theory, but the way I've been thinking about it is they are all members of the same species. They just look different. Right? Yeah, that's I mean, that, that's the big difference, at least. Yeah, I, I and I understand that, and that's like I said, and that's what I feel like we're basically saying the same thing, but I just I don't like that idea, right? Personally, I understand. I, I just think that's it's a it's it's like trying to really just reach and reach for to make the most complex thing out of nothing. I mean, if if you want me to sell you on ultra-terrestrials, I can't. All right? Because the biggest thing for me, the biggest thing for me, the most... Uh Uh-huh. The thing that has me really considering it is if you go back to... If you go back through time, the... I haven't learned how to travel travel through time yet, but I'm working on it. Well, when you figure it out, take a look at at UFO encounters from the Middle Ages, right? Their version of UFO encounters were fairies, were, you know, it's, and that's, that's the way that these ultra-terrestrials manifested themselves in a way that it could be received. Does that make sense? Like, I mean, yeah, it makes sense. I just don't buy it. 
I mean, there are literally UFO encounters documented from like the from like the 17 and 1800s. Oh yeah, where where it looks like where the the eyewitness account described the craft as like a floating ship, like a ship that would sail on the ocean. Yeah, which is wild, like a giant wooden ship in the sky. That's the way they described it. Now we're looking at zeppelins. So like that's that's like a, yet another example of these ultra terrestrials manifesting themselves in a way that can be understood by the viewer. I mean that makes more sense. If they're, you know, trying to manifest you know or trying to basically like appear in a way that can be understood or you know perceived differently or something like that like yeah maybe but i don't know it's just still not a concept i like (laughs) yeah i mean i'm not i'm it's just something i've been thinking about a lot lately so it's it's in my head yeah no i mean that makes sense and you know it's something it's something to consider but I think, like I said, at that point, it's it's just more so I feel like we're really reaching. But, I mean, it all just, it, at this point, we don't know. It's all, you know, interpretation anyways. Right. It's, uh, you know, so I guess if you want to look at ultra terrestrials and things like that, that's all going to be interpretation. And isn't that the whole premise of the whole thing? Sure. Like, them manifesting in such a way that can be understood properly interpreted right you know so yeah the concept makes sense in a really far-fetched way sure but you know it's uh it's like i said something to consider i mean i feel like you say far-fetched because it's just like a newer concept to you than the idea of like bolts and like you know what I mean? Like a normal UFO, like a well, yeah, from another planet UFO, right? Because I feel like that's what I'm like wrestling with because I don't find either idea more compelling than the other. I think they're like, you know, we don't know either way. Yeah, I mean, I I honestly, I think that there's, a, a, you know, obviously my, my idea is the different species, but they're all part of just a mass, like a mass thing, you know? And that's why I was saying more like race, you know, they're all a single thing. They're all going to be what we call as aliens, whatever, whatever they actually are. But, but, you know, again, they're just going to be more race wise. Doesn't mean that they're not all one and the same. It doesn't mean that they can't, you know, they can't, all live and reside as as one um, or function as one you know maybe they all have access to the exact same like technologies crafts technology right sure you know maybe maybe they all are initially spawned from the same thing um maybe it comes down to um you know it comes down to just where they're at being able to adapt and things like that so you know i guess you know it's it's maybe that's more 
along the lines of the ultra terrestrial thing. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. But we definitely don't know. know. (laughs) Right. And it's it like I said, it's just all ideas. It's all ideas that could, you know, could sound cool. (laughs) But at the same time, like it's something it's something definitely to think about. And it's I, I think, you know, thinking too much into it, though, is. Yeah, just cause for just extreme confusion at that point. But yeah, I mean, you can definitely go too deep. Trust me. Because <laughs> I mean, even trying to gather my thoughts here and just trying to, you know, kind of explain what I what I'm thinking, it's it's hard to do. Yeah, yeah, I would have to like literally sit and think this out and you know make up just some bullshit stuff that maybe could be a thing. Sure. Yeah, and I'm I'm just spitballing. It just, you know, and so, yeah, and I think that's a lot. That's what a lot of it is. It's just maybe it's like this, you know, maybe I have a good idea. Yeah, I mean, a massive part of ufology and paranormal research is essentially philosophy. It's right. I mean, these people are sitting down, they're considering the universe and they're trying to explain it. Right. They're trying to wrap their head around existence. Right. And it's ideas. Yeah. Just like you said, it's just ideas. Which is cool. That's That's the fun part. Big topic and such a big, I mean, yeah. There's so much at play that it's impossible to think just one way, I think, at that point. All right. So let's boil this down. Flatwoods, do you believe it or not? Personally, I do not. Okay. I want to. It's cool. I love, I like I said, I love the, I love the description, but I, I just don't buy it. Okay, so for you, Flatwoods, cool comic book drawing, but probably not real. Correct. Okay. I, I like, I like the Flatwoods case. It makes sense to me. I think I'm, I'm sold on Flatwoods. Okay. So that's surprising. Yeah. We usually go the opposite directions, but I mean, I guess we kept that consistent at least. (laughs) With so little evidence and everything, I'm surprised that you're not swayed. Yeah. I guess, well, the other, the opposite direction, so. Yeah. It just, it's, it's the fact that it's so different. I think that's what sells me. It is. It's also classic. It's also before a lot of the high point of more you know, well-known aliens are what people think of them, right. you know, then and to this day, I think, yeah, it does make a big difference for sure. It's all those separate descriptions of something so fucking weird. It's that's what yeah. sells it for me. hundred percent. But I mean, even the Snitowski, that was the next day. They could have read it in, in the newspaper and then gotten freaked out on a, dark country road where their car broke down. I guess so. I don't know. I mean, at that point, were were newspapers... I mean, would a newspaper have published the description of the creature? As they described it. You know, that following morning? I think. Maybe. I mean, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe. I don't know. You might be onto something there with the newspaper. You know, I'm... Like, I think back to those times and I'm so, like, 
spoiled by the way we get news now i think of them as like never knowing anything that happens to any other human you know but there were newspapers carrier pigeons that deliver deliver some parchment from yeah from random town to town yeah right I accidentally. No, I don't think it was quite like that. I accidentally think of West Virginia in the fifties the same way I think of like medieval Europe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it happens. To be fair, though, it was a you know very remote location, yeah. so they could have been living in like medieval you know time. But you know they got their newspaper promptly because that paper boy only had to deliver to like eleven houses. Right. Exactly. So. And I'm sure, you know, some of the nearby bigger towns, uh, you know, reported on it too. And so, yeah, yeah, you might be right. It did travel quick. I'm well, son of a bitch. Now I'm on the fence. (laughs) I'm not trying to sway (laughs) you. I'm just saying you put me on the fence. The newspaper did it. (laughs) The newspaper did it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll just blame it on the, on the, you know the press always well that wraps up episode eight the flatwoods monster thank you thank you thank you from the bottom of our weird possibly alien maybe ghostly probably cryptid hearts for listening we absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on we want to get to know each and every one of you so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook at campfire T-O-T-S-A-U on Twitter. And you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thank you as always to Greg Martin at reverent music on Instagram. Um, for his song, Dying Star. That's from the EP Interstellar. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And and trust trust in the the unknown. unknown.